welcome to the Scottish podcast by Scottish people about Scottish things. We're three lifelong friends and displaced Scotsmen who get together to talk about our homeland, the weird stuff that happens there, and to remind us why we are the way we are. Welcome to This'll Do Nicely. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's story with Rory. Well, actually, welcome to today's listen with Chris and Rory. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that's nice. It's not a bad one, actually, is it? Not bad. Uh, listen with, yeah, listen with Chris and Rory. Yeah, yeah. listen with Chris and Rory. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm Rory, and that other lovely voice you heard was was chris uh how you doing big guy yeah good good i'm uh i'm excited actually to talk about this subject that we've got next because it's one of those ones that as you're researching it you initially think oh how are we going to spin this into an episode and then the more you kind of dive into it you're like oh this is actually pretty cool uh Mm. i learned a lot from my research and i actually did proper research you know for for a change um yes i I didn't fully wing it so you know (laughs) it's uh not just reading wikipedia verbatim no i read other sources yeah i read Um, i read a snippet of a book for it oh my god that's incredible Yeah. yeah uh we should talk about yeah obviously this is johnny's turn to not be on the show uh he is on his Chris Stagg uh, memorial tour to Iceland. <laughs> yeah. Is he there? He's there just on vacation, right? I think he's so. Not. I think he's just having a wee yeah. holiday. And how long is he there for? It felt, it feels like it was weeks ago that he left. Oh my God. Alexa's talking to me. Shut up. <laughs> is Sorry. she going to fill in and be the third host? <laughs> yeah. Just not say anything, laugh every so often, and then claim to have not done any research when her section comes up. <laughs> Uh, actually, no, I haven't done that. Uh, yeah, but here's a song I wrote about it. <laughs> God damn it! Just read an article or two. Stop writing songs. Yeah. Um, I think he's back. I don't know. I think he might have got back today. Uh, this is gonna be this is gonna be an odd episode for me because it's Sunday, which we don't normally record on. I'm very sleepy. Uh, there's no Johnny. And it's a topic that I haven't researched. So this is, I am all over the place. This could be yeah, exciting. It's, this is, uh, this could go horribly wrong for multiple reasons. But I guess the the main reason that we're doing this um, <clears throat> is uh, thanks to our reader, readers, uh, Sally um, is the one who gave us the idea to do this. Um, we've talked about Sally an awful lot in the past. Um not so much in season two so far, so this is like a triumphant return for her. Um, Fan but favorite, she Sally. suggested to us to talk about the uh, Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, uh, which is in her hometown of Cooperstown, New York. And yeah, apparently it has a very strong Scottish influence, which is something that we certainly didn't know. So Sally gave us a bit and dropped us a bit of knowledge there. And she even, she's the reason that I read the snippet of the book and Ooh. got, uh, uh, she sent a part of it to her email address. Uh, so she could probably take the week off to be honest, seeing as we're, you know, going to talk about everything that she knows. And, um, uh, because I fear 
that she's just going to correct me uh, for anything <laughs> I get wrong. And in fact, in the snippet she sent of the book, it was clearly a photocopy. She's corrected somebody in the book, like a little bit. Oh my god! Uh, they've got I, I forget exactly what it was, but they've got something wrong about the town. And and in notes in pencil, it's like, well, actually, this is incorrect. It's like ah, oh, never change, Sally. Did we never change? Have we ever established what Sally's job is? Because my assumption is teacher. Uh, that's a great question. Um, I don't actually know. Yeah, she she dis- definitely has teacher vibes, doesn't she? Yeah, given her penchant yeah. for corrections, her disdain for our swearing, and her general just trying to keep us in line, I, I think, yeah. Could be a corrections officer. Could be, yes, she could work in uh, a prison somewhere. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's not much upstate New York. Maybe there's just an enormous supermax prison that we don't know about. Warden Sally. And she hates swearing from the inmates. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I, she's setting them on their straight and narrow and then setting them back out into the world. That's great. Yeah, you do prove us wrong, Sally. Prove that you don't work at a supermax. <laughs> um... So we're talking about baseball. Yeah. Can I, so let's, um, let's, I, I want to ask you before we dive into this, you've obviously lived here a few years longer than me. Um, and I, I crashed into the world of baseball when I first arrived here, twenty end of 2015 and fell quite hard in love with the New York Mets. And indeed I'm wearing a Mets hoodie right now. Mm. Um, and it's been obviously a torturous uh, five, six years watching them uh, because I like to, as you know, Rory, adopt teams that aren't only bad but have kind of calamitous proportions about them and they're always doing something yes. moronic. Um, so like, I guess my question to you, though, is have you embraced the sport of baseball at all since you've moved or have you very much kept it at arm's length? It's a great question, Chris, and the answer is no, not in the slightest. I've stayed away from it as much as humanly possible i don't understand it i find it boring and i don't want to understand it um yeah i i understand the appeal of it being a venue where you can go and drink uh i like i like (laughs) drinking in novelty places so that that's fun but it's a it's a a lot of money to spend to go and drink in a novelty place just as (laughs) yeah so I mean, you could do that in a park. You sit in a park for three hours and I'd, I'd watch stuff that. that you don't understand. But I'm, I'm also, I am a, a, a general sports fan. I would say, I enjoy recreational sports, and so I enjoy a, a good day out to to watch pretty much anything. So, a lot, like, I've, I've been to a few games, few matches. You and I have been to. What two subway series now? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah, the last one we went to, which was relatively recently, I just I, that was it. I was done. I was so annoyed. It lasted so long, <laughs> and it was just irrelevant to me. Um, and I have this <laughs> wow look, and I have this, this theory. Off to a flyer. I know. Uh, there's a lot of hot takes coming out. That's why you're running with this episode, but so I can yeah. just get all my venting out. I have this theory about sports, which is like 
they should be entertaining. They're a form of entertainment. Uh, if you're not playing them, you're watching them, they should be entertaining. And a better, the better sports to watch are the ones where the most exciting things that can happen. So if you watch football, uh, as in soccer, um, you don't really know what could potentially happen with somebody like Cristiano Ronaldo or Messi. They could have like some amazing little like backflip uh, overhead bicycle kick. You could get like an incredible corner connecting between three players, and then it's 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 a goal. Rugby is very similar. You can just see incredibly amazing plays that last like multiple. Um, that's what I'm looking for, like multiple phases and all that type of stuff. Um, you know, you can say the same thing about like gymnastics and et cetera, et cetera. It's the same reason I dislike golf. It's the same reason I dislike baseball. Like the furthest, the best thing that can happen is they hit the ball far away. Like in golf, they get the ball in the hole. In baseball, they just hit it far away and that's it. And well, agree to disagree yes. on that. Uh, I think it <laughs> you've grossly oversimplified the sport and i i did agree uh with you until i sort of fully got immersed in baseball and yes part of the aim of the game is to hit the ball very far if you are a hitter but i love the duality of it of the batter going against the pitcher and everything in between they play all the all the time i'm far too emotionally invested in it to the extent now that my mood is is changed from the next day (laughs) uh I used to be like that with soccer, but Newcastle, you know, when I was a child, you know, about that with Newcastle, but they they got so they broke just you. bad yeah. in the last 10 years or so that I'm kind of desensitized to that. And But now they're, now they're on the way back up, so maybe I'll get back into them again. <laughs> but baseball for me is, is just this fantastic sport, and it's one of the best things, I think, about moving here. I've just, I just love it. Uh, and and it, this is kind of a nice little... Um, a nice treat for me to talk about a, a place that I, I don't really know about. Uh, so it's the, the, the baseball um, hall of fame and you know, it, well, we, sorry, before we all, you, you get into yeah. it properly, give me your rebuttal to that. Like, why did you get into it in the same way that I did? Cause we grew up I've, together. We, we watch a lot of the same sports. We, we go to sports together a lot, but this is one thing where we just totally took two different paths. I think I was honestly the we when I moved to New York, um, our our friend Barney uh, was very into the Mets and convinced me to go to City Field uh, a couple times, and it was just loving the atmosphere, uh, cheap tickets, uh, you know, decent drinks, uh, the and and just getting into the personalities quite quickly. Um, they, they are, as I said, kind of. A dysfunctional team and they've always got kind of some strange personalities on, yeah. on the team they did at that point um and then the so i got hooked that way and then that see first season i what i watched they got to the the wild cards in the playoffs uh and i was i, I was hooked then and they've just got some they they have the best pitcher in the world Jacob deGrom who is a bit of a robot uh doesn't have much of a personality but he is just ridiculous to watch he, even if you don't really understand baseball he is just such a good player sadly he's injured right now he just and then he throws the ball in a straight line really well he throws the ball well that's the thing about pitching Rory you don't just throw it in a straight line you don't just throw it in a straight curve it slightly 
Yeah, it's sometimes <laughs> curves, it's sometimes slides, it's sometimes change-ups. I mean, and also, also I got into the video games of it, which helped me understand yeah. the rules a lot more. So I think if it, I was the same with Madden when I was younger in American football. I don't think I would have got as into American football if it wasn't for Madden. Yeah. Um, so because you just understand the concept of the game. But yeah, ultimately, I don't know. I mean, it's a sort of, I, I never got fully into basketball or hockey. I just decided that hockey was too much and basketball just doesn't really do anything for me. So it's to each their own, I suppose. I will, I, I think that's a very, very fair point because the first couple of years when I was here, I didn't really know many people um, or I didn't know people that I would go to sports events with is what I'll say. Um, and I got weirdly really into hockey and I started following the Jersey Devils and it was a season where they went to the Stanley Cup, played the LA Angels and Kings. Lost. I think the Kings, isn't it? Isn't the Angels? The Angels is the baseball team. Uh, Shows how yes, little sorry, you know about sorry. Baseball. I'm thinking of the, there was a headline about the Devils versus the City of Angels um, oh, okay. at the time. Um you're right. Uh, and they lost, and but the season was great. The Devils played well, and I, I was watching pretty much every game. I, think I went to a couple of games as well. Um, but I And so I could... There's definitely a sliding door scenario where if I just met somebody who was also into hockey or also into the Devils, then I would have been kind of like... Mo- like that that probably would have continued to this day but in there's yeah. nobody i could speak to about i was just going to pubs and watching the games by myself and then yeah like, eh. that is a big part of it if you could find somebody and i ended up having like three or four people that i talked to mm-hmm. about it um and yes that is a huge part of it uh yeah. that Im- improves your fandom and makes you more invested and more interested and also my wife is into baseball as well she was a red Sox fan but she's kind of uh, adopted the Mets now because we end right, up watching the Mets a lot more and she probably knows their players a lot more than the Red Sox now so um, uh, so yeah that's how where we are today you know got the MLB subscription and um, torture my wife by shouting at the TV <laughs> when the Mets blow a lead in the sixth inning that sort of stuff and uh, you know until I die um, well, why are we talking about it today, Chris? Why are we talking about baseball and American sport on a Scottish podcast? Because a Scottish person invented baseball that makes complete sense. Of course they did. <laughs> no, that, not quite. But a Scottish person was was key to setting up the Baseball Hall of Fame, uh, which is in Cooperstown, New York. And that is our huh. uh, tenuous, uh, de- <laughs> tenuous uh, reason to talk about the, the Hall of Fame. So, Rory, before I get into it, have you ever been to Cooperstown, New York? Uh, no, I had not heard of Cooperstown, New York until okay. about last week. So... Immediately talking about Cooperstown is a village in uh, Otsego County in upstate New York. It's about 60 miles southwest of Albany and about 145 miles northwest of New York City. Its population is around 2,000 people. <laughs> so it seems a very odd place to have a Hall of Fame museum. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that's where baseball was invented, right? It was first game yeah, of baseball. I'll was get to that. I will get to okay. that because we talk about... <laughs> <laughs> we talk about no one knows the origins of this. There's a fantastic story for that. Um, but I just want to kind of give you a couple of quotes. Uh, one of these is from my wife who went to Ithaca uh, College 
in upstate New York and basically said to me, upstate New York is like Swiss cheese and the holes and pocket are pockets of activity and the cheese is the nothingness. <laughs> okay. And she's got relatives in upstate New York. It is well. so poetic that, of her. I love it. Yeah. So it's, it's a very odd place to have a museum for a start. I mean, I don't know. You wouldn't go there for any reason other than go to the museum. Um, and the, the, to, to kind of this is this is then from Sally who was very helpful in the research here and she sent me a few emails but she says uh, to understand Cooperstown you need to know about one family and that's the Clark family uh, the Clark family owns a huge amount of property in and around the village and most of the local economy uh, depends on entities tied to the Clarks so the mm. basically the Clark family this is kind of cool um, they made their fortune from patent work so in the mid-1800s, Edward Clark t- took a chance doing patent work for Isaac Singer and his sewing machine. Singer oh. didn't have any money, so he gave Clark shares in the company. And when Clark died in 1882, he had an estate worth 25 to $50 million, which would be worth about a billion dollars in today's My world. God. So and basically made his money off a sewing machine. That's unreal. Uh, yeah. Uh, so then... As a result of that, the family has always been very philanthropic, and that goes down to Stephen Clark, uh, who is the main Clark in this story. Uh, and again, a couple more great quotes about Cooperstown. Yogi Berra, the baseball player, once said to his wife after getting lost on his way there, we're lost, but we're making good time. Um, James Vlasich, uh, who is an associate professor at uh, of, of history, at Southern Utah State College said, there's an old joke about how far Cooperstown is from New York City, four hours or two centuries. Yeah. Um, so it's, I'm setting up this this kind of weird backward town that this incredible museum is at. And, and it's and got... Maybe you apologies if you're going to get into this, but like the, the basics of the, the Hall of Fame, I always thought of the Hall of Fame as being almost like a non-tangible thing it was like oh you're on a list now but you're saying it's an actual physical place yes it's so basically i will get into this but the list it is a list but the list is as a result of the museum uh so the Ah, museum came first okay um and the whole point that this 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 happens is because back in the 1920s 1930s uh cooperstown its main source of economy was to grow hops to make beer. Nice. Um, but there was a double whammy at the time. There was the Great Depression and Prohibition. So Cooperstown had no money. Hops was their main crop. Yeah. They couldn't sell it. There was nothing they could do about it. So Clark... Bet you they're all hopping mad about that. Ooh. <laughs> now you started. There's your joke. There's your joke of the week. Yeah. All right. You can pipe down now. Um so Stephen Clark decided that he wanted to make tourism a way of bringing people to his village, but he just didn't know how to do it. And this is kind of hilarious. He knew nothing about baseball, and he actually needed to be convinced that the sport was was worthwhile. Sounds like you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so enter our Scottish uh, hook here, a guy called Alexander Cleland, who is a Glasgow-born social worker, and he immediately had uh, Clark's ear. So... I, I don't know much about Cleland before he started, before he came over here. I think he, I couldn't find a Wikipedia entry of, you know, who his parents are or anything mm-hmm. like that. All I know is he was from Glasgow. He was a social worker. 
he th- he came over uh, to uh, New York City and he worked. Uh, he'd known Clark since 1931. He took over as director of the Clark House, which was a settlement house in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And mm. at the time, that's a house that provided uh, new immigrants with temporary accommodation and help finding a job, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, you know, clearly into helping people settle. Um, he'd first immigrated to the US in 1903. He took a job in Chicago. Uh, then he arrived in New York. And also, I thought this was really cool. In World War One, he oversaw the distribution of food, lodging, and entertainment for soldiers who were stationed in and around New York City. Um, so he's always been very into his charity work. And he probably would have done that for the rest of his life had he not had a fortuitous trip to Cooperstown in 1934. And that was to go up to talk to Stephen Clark just about how the business is doing, how everything's doing. Um, and, you know, that trip was fairly routine. You know, he, he would go up, he would talk, but he had this epiphany upon leaving and he was taking a stroll through town before catching the train back. So he was walking past a baseball field just off Main Street and he noticed that several construction workers were hauling dirt to the property and they were renovating a place called Doubleday Field. Uh, So this is where we get to talking about the origins of baseball and this is hilarious. So Doubleday Field was named for uh, a former resident of Cooperstown and a Civil War general, Abner Doubleday, who is credited with being the person who invented baseball. Right. Now... The, the reason that this is uh, seen as um, the origins of baseball is uh, this is this was a, a group called the Mills Commission that established Cooperstown as the birth uh, the birthplace of baseball as a result of the Doubleday myth. Doubleday was at West Point in 1839. You, you know it's good when it starts off. It, it's got myth in the title. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah this is just nonsense. It's yeah. it's hilarious. The the basically. Uh, I he was at West Point in 1839, and the only documentation connecting him to baseball is an 1871 letter in which he requested that his superiors supply baseball equipment for a group of African American soldiers in Texas, and yet they just decided that he was like the inventor <laughs> of baseball. <laughs> and and pa- apparently part of the reason for doing this is because they convened in 1905 because they wanted to claim that the sport was uniquely American and it yeah. wasn't evolved from from rounders, uh, the British game of rounders. Um, and I love this. The Hall of Fame spokesman, a guy called William Guilfoyle, said that the question of whether Doubleday actually invented the sport is largely irrelevant. <laughs> and he said, baseball undoubtedly originated at about that time in a rural setting. We think Cooperstown is at least an acceptable symbolic site for the origins <laughs> of the sport. So it's Fuck like... It. Why it's not just Cooperstown? It's just complete bullshit. It's complete bullshit. Um, and I got to say, I got to give a shout out to my former place of living, Hoboken, as a, another per, another um, area that has this acclaim, I guess, to um, baseball, because there was a field there called Elysian Fields. And that's thought to be where the first ever organized game of baseball was um, in 1845. So, and there's a little plaque in Hoboken, all it's got in, I think it's at 10th Street or something like that. Mm little baseball diamond it's like this is where the first game of baseball was <laughs> wow. and that's it wow like, come on hoboken you could have the baseball hall of fame if you just got your finger yeah. out it's yeah and cool it's got the same it's got a little plaque for where frank sinatra was born as well and it's like why isn't there a frank sinatra <laughs> museum 
you, every single restaurant in Hoboken has a picture of Frank Sinatra on the wall. Why is there no museum of have Frank Sinatra? Have a museum, have a statue, all that sort of junk. <laughs> uh, it is. It's probably because he used to beat his wife a lot. um yeah old blue eyes and quick fists uh i actually googled (laughs) wow while it's (laughs) uh i googled this clark house because it sounded very familiar it's like a 10 minute walk from where i currently live uh as well Um, oh is it yeah this we've all it's all just right in our backyard chris baseball is basically in our blood i think is what we're saying Exactly. I mean, Love why you don't like it is is beyond me. Um, so basically, the, I'll I'll finish off the little story of of where um Cleland uh gets this idea. But base one of the construction workers who's there set you know putting dirt on the Doubledale field asked him asked Cleland what he thought of plans to celebrate baseball centennial which was five years away at the time. And he's, and, and Cleland, I don't know if it's Cleland or Cleland, it's probably Cleland. Yeah. And he said he he hadn't thought about it because he'd never heard of it. And <laughs> so on it, he was getting the train back and he was thinking about the sheer tourism potential there. And he, and he just had this epiphany that why don't we add a museum to the field, the side of the field? And he proposed it to his boss and his boss went for it, um, which... It's as simple as that, really. Um, so maybe that's part one of the story. So perhaps you might want to... Uh, I know you were researching a few famous Scottish players yes. that have played uh, over the years. I mean, famous very much uh, in quotation marks. But yeah, Rory, how many did you find um, had actually played baseball in, in MLB? I found seven. There's talks of eight, but I think there's only seven. Um, okay. I couldn't find this fabled eighth man. Um, yeah, and this is... I was reading... I'm not going to go into any stats because that's one of the things... As Look, I studied maths at, at university. I love I love maths, but I love numbers, Chris. But when every time you read anything about baseball, it's all about the stats. It's all about the batting averages and everything. And I don't know what was good. I don't know what was bad. <laughs> and so I've left all of that off. So if you want, you can go and, um, you know, Google these people and find out their stats yourself. Uh, also, the, the, everything changes back in the old-timey times. Like, the, the teams change, the type, like, the way they played change. It's all yeah. it gets a bit confusing at times. But anyway, the first person I want to tell you about is James Jimsy McCormick. Um, Jimsy was his nickname. Uh, and he was the first Scottish-born MLB player ever. Uh, born in Glasgow in 1856, he was born to Irish parents. He was actually born in Thornley Bank, uh, so oh, very near okay. where you and I grew up. Yeah. Um, and he moved to Patterson, New Jersey um, when he was about nine. Um, and apparently Patterson is this like breeding ground of... Uh, Hall of Fame baseball players uh, from okay. around that time, like you know, we're talking late eighteen hundreds. Um, there was uh, all the famous players, Chris. You'll know them well: Mike King, Kelly, Blonde, yep. Purcell, Edward, oh yeah, Blondie, Nolan, and John Kick Kelly. Um, <laughs> they've all got nicknames, every single one of them, uh, and I, I love it. But um, 
Jim Zay never made it into the, the Hall of Fame, although apparently being a very good player. He was actually described as one of the elite pitchers of all time. Um, and he, for whatever reason, just didn't quite make it in. Um, despite there being a fair number of people actually campaigning for it, um, a lot of the information I found out about him was from a website that is called McCormickForTheHall.com. Um, so it's still a campaign that's ongoing today uh, to kind of retrospectively okay. put him in. Uh, he played for the Indianapolis Blues. Um, he was touted as one of the first masters of the curveball. Um, but uh, he then moved to the Chicago White Stockings, which I didn't know that the a bunch of teams were called the Stockings. I'm guessing before they were called the Socks. Checks out. But yep. uh, apparently a few teams were, which is just amazing. Um, he led them to the 1885 League Championship. Uh, and then it was after about 10 seasons, his career came to an end, mainly just because, he, you know, this is back in the 10 day. 10 seasons is, is pretty good. Yeah, you know? pretty That's solid. a good career. He, like, it was, um, I mean, it was a bit of a shame. He had to step away. His wife was ill. Uh, so he had to step away and look after um, but he held the record for wins by a non-American pitcher, um, non-American born pitcher for over a century. Oh, wow. Okay. Is classed by many people as one of the best pitchers to never make it into the Hall of Fame. Um, hmm. So I, and I think the This Will Do Nicely podcast is officially backing the campaign to submit James Jimsy McCormick into the MLB Hall of Fame. Yeah, do it for Jimsy, folks. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, Jimsy's not the best nickname ever, but you know, it sounds like a pretty legit career, so a couple of better ones, but yeah. that's that's one. That's number 1 of 7. Okay. Um, okay, well, we'll pepper these through as we yeah. go. Um I'll tell you a little bit about um the next part of this. Uh so Cleland knew that this you know after his boss bought in they both knew it would require quite a lot of work obviously to get the support of major league baseball to do this but they did they successfully did this due mainly to the president of the national league a guy called ford frick which is a great all-time name um and cleland wanted to have the all-star game in 1939 as part of the celebration and frick supported it and Frick was fully on board with having this Hall of Fame to honour the stars of baseball uh, that would become part of this museum complex. Uh, and the idea was that the Baseball Writers Association, uh, the BBWAA, uh, was involved. Uh, and they still pick people who go into the Hall of Fame today. The um, writers all cast a ballot. Uh, it's quite funny because every year now there's a discourse um they usually share their ballots on Twitter, and right now it's kind of the era where it's all the people who took steroids. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and they they're not they don't get voted in, and then there's an argument of like, oh well, everybody did steroids. It's just some people were better when they were on steroids. <laughs> and so that's all kind of amazing. Um, so it's those bastards that are keeping Jim Z out of the the Hall of Fame. Exactly. Oof. Yeah. Exactly that. Um, and then I found out an, a little bit of uh, trivia here, Rory, that. Uh, when they established this, or sorry, when they proposed this Hall of Fame idea of having kind of people honoured, um, it was 
it, it, it was kind of far-fetched in the, in the 1930s, but it did have precedence because New York City had the Hall of Fame for Great Americans, which had the bronze busts of 98 Americans in it, including the likes of George Washington. But apparently Alexander Graham Bell is one of them. Really? Yeah. So, I mean... Who is obviously Scottish. He's definitely Scottish. I think he moved to Canada later in life and then maybe... Maybe went to to America eventually, but they can't be claiming him as American. He's apparently one of the ninety eight most important Americans of all time. Makes sense. Um, that apparently still exists, and it's now viewable at Bronx Community College, which I didn't know. Um, and then out. one other nice little bit uh, that the reason that Cleland was so keen to kind of um, honor old players. Um, and and maybe help people who'd fallen on harder times uh, was because he was a massive Celtic fan, massive mm. Glasgow Celtic fan, uh, the football like team. Snoop Dogg. Uh, just like Snoop Dogg. <laughs> exactly <laughs> like Snoop Dogg. And he was inspired by an encounter with his hero, a guy called Sandy McMahon, who played for Celtic back in the day. And it, this happened uh, years after McMahon finished playing. Um he was on, he was traveling across the Atlantic and he encountered McMahon, who was a waiter on the ocean liner that he was on. And he was, you know, McMahon sort of held court and told all these old stories about playing for Celtic and all that stuff. And before leaving the ship, Cleland ordered a whip round and um, to, to get McMahon money and to get him sort of back in his feet. And, um, and then he, that always kind of stuck with him that he wanted to help you know, old nice. players who had fallen on harder times. Uh, so he, he felt like doing this for baseball as well. I mean, that's very cool and a bit odd. I, it's nice. I, I just, I wonder what McMahon thought about that. He <laughs> just think it was really patronizing. Yeah, I don't know. He's he prob- immediately he, spent it all on gambling. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's probably what he did just do. Just like put it immediately uh, down his throat. But like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's Down nice. His throat and into his veins, eh? Yeah, yeah like a normal Glasgow <laughs> junkie. Uh, no, that's nice. That's good of him. I like. I, I do like that. It's just uh, it's an odd way to get started. Yeah, I just find that it's an interesting thing that Cleland doesn't seem to have much skin in the game here. Like he doesn't really care about baseball. Yeah, uh, but he's just kind of he sounds like thought he very it'd be good failed. for tourism and they just latched onto it and seems to have been very successful. Um, so the next bit I'm going to talk about is um, how they kind of got their memorabilia at the start. But if you want to talk about a, a couple of other players, then Ooh, yeah, please do. Sure, I can throw somebody in. I can throw in Hugh Little Nick Nickel. Um, <laughs> debuted 1881. Seven foot two, wasn't he? Uh, <laughs> no, no, they weren't. They they really, really weren't imaginative with the nicknames, Chris. Uh, so he was born on New Year's Day in 1858 in Campsie, which is a, a town just north of Glasgow. So he's a New Year's baby, uh, which means he ruined Hogmanay for his mum. <laughs> they moved to Illinois before he was 10. And that's kind of a trend with all these Scottish-born baseball players. They, they moved there very, very young, which makes sense. Yeah. You know, you have to kind of grow yeah, of up course. in sport. Um, so he's apparently very athletic and not only did he play baseball, but he also wrestled, he swam, he was into rowing and he also did gymnastics as well. So he's just one of those kind of all round, uh, you know, you get those people that you grew up with that are just generally talented at every sport, um, kind of annoying in that way. Um, 
but he started his professional career in 1881 for the Chicago White White Stockings, which uh, Jimsy also played for. Um, And he quickly became a star because standing at a impressive five foot four inches, um, (laughs) the kids loved him. They were basically because he was such a small player. One of their own. Yes, exactly. They saw this pro baseball player who was the same size of them. So he obviously got the nickname Little Nick, and they just thought he was incredible. Um, They also said that he was uh, as quick as a cat. There was one article I read that referred to him as a supersonic Scott. Um, Nice. That is a great nickname. It is a good, very good nickname. Um, And his. Uh, athleticism, speed, and throwing accuracy made him an excellent outfielder. Uh, but he, the reason that he's kind of famous is that he was not afraid to put on a show, reportedly tumbling and somersaulting and flipping around the field during training and even at times during games as well. <laughs> so, okay. like, just, I, I guess, just, like, jumping about the place, doing cartwheels whenever Would you forward. be more into baseball if players did that while they were running the bases a hundred percent you think that's part of the problem with baseball that it's not attracting the kids because they're not all five foot four and doing somersaults yeah it just needs a little bit of razzmatazz and I'm, a bit of flair I'm all in yes yeah um yeah. you might not be you might not be wrong no i know uh so he wasn't a great batter uh is that what they're called do you call them batters that yes makes sense right Yes. This sounds like a weird word. It's um, like listening to ESPN. <laughs> but he is credited as being one of the first players to use a head first slide, which makes complete sense giving his general yeah. athleticism and flipping about and also being Scottish. I'm just assuming he was trying to headbutt whoever was standing on the base at the time. Just a yeah. flying headbutt. Uh so, yeah. so we've so far we've got a guy who is basically an expert at the curveball and the person that invented the head first slide. Those yes. are two like serious things in baseball. I I know. Um, yeah. So he also was held many records for the most number of base steals and there's one record that he still holds today. Um, wow. there was something I was trying to understand it but apparently the definition of stealing a base back then is slightly different than it is now but they're saying that it, he was just incredible at it and again this kind of came down to his speeds um that he was racking them up throughout the season um cool and then the last little thing about him was that he after the white stockings he signed for the cincinnati reds where he played alongside long john riley who was one of the tallest players in the majors at six uh, so they have baseball cards together called the long and the short. Um, and yeah, he that's what he did. He went on, like he continued to do like athletics. He became an athletics instructor. He was a professional wrestler for a bit of a bit of his life. Uh, he then for a short period was a manager and a scout for a couple of teams in the majors. Um, and then kind of rounded off his career as the athletic director for Purdue University, which is where he is currently buried. So wow, he is. That's incredible. Yeah, he's very much this kind of raconteur is the wrong word, but like kind of very interesting career that he had and life that he had. The San Miguel, most interesting man in the world, but (laughs) but he's Scottish. Tiny, tiny Scotsman. 
<laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Nice one. I liked him. Yeah, so that I like him too. That was Hugh Little Nick Nickel. <laughs> okay. Excellent. Uh, all right. I've lost my place. Hang on. Okay. I'm back. Um, so I'm talking about the memorabilia uh, there. How did they get the memorabilia? And they they basically publicized throughout the country uh, from fans. Um, it was completed in 1938, and the official dedication took place on June the 12th, 1939, to coincide with the centennial celebration. And the date was so special that Congress and President Franklin Roosevelt honoured the Hall of Fame on June 12th, 1939, and baseball gave itself a two-day holiday as well. Wow. Which, you know, it's a big, that's a big deal. Um, and Cleland himself was the man in charge of getting the memorabilia. And Rory, I hope you know who Cy Young is. Have yes. you heard of Cy Young? Yes. Yeah, okay, so obviously all baseball fans know that the best pitcher in baseball uh, wins the Cy Young Award every year. Um, so he... This is from apparently the sport page of the Oni Onta Star in May 3rd, 1937. And news came that Denton Tecumseh Young, I'm not sure how you pronounce that, who was known as Cy because of the cyclonic destruction he left in the ranks of opposing teams, uh, caressed his loving cups. Wait, that's why he was called that? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that. Neither did I. Yeah. I, I just assumed it was his name. Sorry, yeah. I just blown my mind. I thought yeah. his name was like Simon or something. I know it was spelled differently, <laughs> Cyril. but I assumed, Cyril. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I initially read this, uh, it caressed his loving cups. I thought he was like giving his, <laughs> I assumed, I'm assuming he's giving his like championship trophies to the Hall of Fame, but I did laugh at the idea of like Cy Young has kept all these cups for his balls uh like on on a shelf at home maybe in his garage <laughs> signed every single one of them um never washed never washed <laughs> oh yes i remember when i wore that one that was a particularly muggy <laughs> july day in pittsburgh um so yeah he announced that he was going to give all of his trophies to the hall of fame in 1937 uh he told the associated press at the time i don't need them Uh, and the Freeman's Journal reported on May 12th that Cleland had returned from a trip to Dover, Ohio to accept Young's trophies and other memorabilia uh, including a complete uniform and glove that Young used during his years in the big leagues Uh, and that was just an absolutely massive thing for him and today I was reading a really interesting article today from on MLB.com that uh, how they kind of get their memorabilia now because the other day, Mickey Cabrera of the Detroit Tigers uh, became just the seventh person in MLB history to record both 500 home runs and 3,000 hits. Mm. Uh, so they have like a display. They, they had, a, I think, a display of the 500 home runs. And now because he's got 3,000 hits, they're going to do another thing. And it's basically the museum is in constant kind of negotiations with every team around the league right. uh, for, you know, s- milestones that they know are coming, but then they kind of, weird things that happen uh during during the season and there's a funny thing that apparently one of the atlanta braves players during the world series this year a guy called jock peterson wore um a pearl necklace while he was playing which I, I i didn't i didn't watch the world series this year but uh the pearl necklace is in the hall of fame right now <laughs> it's a just a little um you know 
nod to the Braves winning it last year. I'm going to need to find out why he did that. That sounds Yeah, I don't know. I think it was purely just for banter. Yeah. Um, but as of now, the museum has more than 40,000 items of memorabilia. Uh, and in addition to that, it's got uh, 250,000 photographic images and 16,000 hours of recorded media. Um, so, I mean, it's a proper, it's got, it's got everything in it. Um, so Rory, I don't have much more to tell you about the museum, but I know you've got a few more players that we want to talk about and I want to talk about baseball in Scotland, um, which I didn't really know much about. Um, but we'll leave that perhaps for next week, uh, cause we're going to do a twofer on this and it's definitely not because Johnny can't join us next week either. It's definitely <laughs> not that. Um, so Shall we leave that here now and um, and pick it up again in a week's time? Yeah, that sounds good. I like, um, you know, a lot of the times we talk about when we pick up topics that we're not necessarily interested in and then we get very interested in, especially, you know, around movie, well, more about the music and stuff like that or we kind of get won over by Scotland's charm in association with whatever the topic is. And I think you're doing an okay job of winning me over towards baseball a little bit, but I have a feeling that by the end of it, I'm just going to be a big fan of the MLB hall of fame, but still really (laughs) not like the sport. Yeah, I think that's fine. Um, So I guess we'll find out how, how I end up. Uh, in next week's episodes. Uh, so thanks everybody, and thistle do Chris, thistle do nicely. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you like the show, please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and write a quick review on whichever podcasting app you're using. It really does help us out. We'd love to hear from you either via our email, thistledonicelypod at gmail.com or via facebook.com slash thistledopod or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at thistledopod. You can also visit our website, thistledonicelypod.com. All original music in this podcast is written and performed by our very own Johnny Naismith. Please like and subscribe to his YouTube channel and follow him on Instagram at J-A-W underscore K-N-E-E underscore. Love, hugs, and kisses from the Thistle Do Nicely pod.